Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air. It's not talking about bad smells, it's talking about birds. Behold the birds of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? Which of you, by taking thought, can add any height to how tall you are, how short you are? We all wish we could, well, some of you may not. I wish I could, right? And why take ye thought, verse number 28, for raiment, clothing. Consider the lilies of the field, the flowers of the field, the, uh, the, the poppies of the field, as we see uh, lately. How they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon, who was the greatest king in uh, Israel, yet even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, so, so, if God so clothed, if God clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Look at verse number 31. Wherefore, or therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? What shall we be clothed with? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth, that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things, all these things shall be added unto you. So we're, we're going from this passage of Scripture today, and we're talking about this sermon series, These Are the Days. And whenever we think of the best days that we've had, we always think of the good old days in the past. Right, whenever you think of the, man, I can just remember the best days of my life. They were those days in the past, or the good old days, the glory days from way back when. Those days when I could remember all this stuff going on, and I had a great physique, and I had all this going for me, and I had money, and I had stuff, and back then I could just, I could do anything. Back, those were the good old days. Those were the days. Maybe you ever heard someone say that before? Maybe you caught yourself thinking that when you're in a bad spot in your life, you're like, man, I just wish I could go back to the good old days. And I have a picture of some of me and my family's, what we would consider our good old days. I think we have a picture of it uh, with all of our family members on here, and I'll kind of let you guys, this is me and my brother's you have met my little brother. This is my brother Eric, the one with long hair. He's the he's the little brother. He's the, he's he's uh, he's. I probably talk to him the most right now. He's my little brother. We're we're all really young here. And then and then I could show you guys this because my parents aren't here this morning. So I'm really happy about this. My dad. I kid you not. I'm not making this up. This is my dad with an afro. So the next time you see him, you need to give him a hard time about it and wonder and ask him where the afro is and uh, tell him to get it back. And to get that ugly-looking mustache back as well. Uh, don't tell him I said that, though. Uh, but that's my mom and my dad there. I, th I think they're engaged right there. And uh, but you got you guys got to bother my dad about that. Please bother my dad about the afro. And this is him a little bit later. And this is for all you military people. This is my dad in the military, thinking he's all big right here. And uh, and so that was. And this is actually in, this is actually in Camp Pendleton. But so we would sometimes we look at our life and we say, oh, those are the good old days in the past, right? Those were the days, the good old days, the glory days. Or, or what we do is we, see, we say to ourselves, we say to the people around us, we say to our family, the days in the future, 
That's what I'm really looking forward to because those are going to be the days when everything turns around in my life. In the future, someday, those are going to be the days. Um, that's what I'm really looking forward to. In the future, things will improve. Those are going to be the glory days someday in the future. And this is kind of what we picture ourselves in the future uh, as being. I think we have another picture, um, but don't worry about it. So we always picture to ourselves, oh, there it is, yeah, the Jetsons. And someday in the future, things will get better. Someday in the future, my life will be hunky-dory, and I'll have my glory days. But here's the thing. It's never right now when we think these are the days. These are the days right now. My glory days are right now. My glory days, the best days are these days. I can't remember anyone, if at all anyone, saying that these days are the best days. Rarely do people think that where they are are the best days of their life. It's always someplace in the past, or it's always someplace off in the future. But it's never, rarely ever, right now do we say, these are the best days of my life. This is where I wish to be. The best days are either behind us or somewhere in front of us, but they're never here right now. So the question is, the question is, how do we make these days the best days? We don't want to have to look at our past and say, those, the best, my best days are behind me. Or we don't have to look and say, well, my best days are someplace in the future, way, way off, when I'll have stuff and stuff will turn around. We want to be able to say, these days right now are the best days of my life. How do we, how do we live that? How do we shape our lives so that we can say, right now are my glory days? That's what we're going to be spending the next three weeks talking about. How to make these days the best days. And I'll let you know, I'll let you in on how we can all do that. And it's not going to be the answer that you're thinking of, if you're thinking of anything as an answer. But the, the way we make these days the best days, here it is. It's biblical stewardship. Didn't expect that, right? Some of you are probably like, I don't even know what that is. What does that even mean, stewardship? Biblical stewardship, simply put, means managing the resources you have as if they all belong to God. That's what biblical stewardship is. It's me looking at all of my resources and managing those resources as if they all belonged to God. That's how we make these days the best days. Biblical stewardship is how we make these days the best days. It's how we are able to look at the past and say, yeah, that was great, but these days are the best days. And we could say, okay, I'm looking forward to the future. The best is yet to come, but the best days are right now. I'm looking forward to right now. Biblical stewardship, and I know that doesn't make sense. And I know it sounds crazy, and I know it, you're probably thinking, okay, yeah, we're here at church. This is what they're supposed to tell me. This is biblical stewardship. That's, this is what is going to make these days the best days. Whether you make a lot or a little or somewhere in between. How we feel about life, and this is why this is so important, because how we feel about life is crafted in large part by how well we manage what we have. How we feel about life is controlled, not almost controlled by how well we manage the resources that we have in our life. Many Americans can't enjoy where they are in life, not because they don't make enough, have enough, spend enough, or do enough, but because what they have is not being managed well. Sometimes it's because we're trying to keep up with the Joneses, right? Sometimes it's because we buy impulsively. Sometimes it's because we're not pricing things out properly. Sometimes it's simply because we don't budget. So if we want to make these days the best days, and we all do, we would all say, I want these days, I want the, my current stage in life to be the best stage I've ever had. We, want, we all want to be able to say that we're not waiting for peace in our life because we have it right now. We, want to be, we all want to be able to say, well, the, the best, yeah, I'm looking forward to the future, but the best is right now. How do we do that? How do we take this idea of biblical stewardship and apply it to our life so that these days are the best days? Where do we start? Look at Matthew chapter 6. 
In the passage we just read in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is speaking to a crowd of people, as he, as he often did speak to a crowd of people. And through the course of his message, he tells us how we can live with peace, with less worry, and less anxiety. And you see this in Matthew chapter 6, verse number 33. He says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God, right? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. All these other things shall be added unto you. How do we make these days the best days? Jesus says to seek God first and his kingdom. Put God first in your life. That is how you make these days the best days. That's the first step in applying biblical stewardship in our lives is by putting God first in every area of our life. Us saying, as believers saying, okay, God, I'm going to put you first in my finances, in my resources, in my family, at my workplace. In everything I do, you are going to have first place. You want to know what will bring peace, a peace to your life and stability to your finances? Putting God first in those things. You want to know what will change your outlook on where your life is currently? Seeking God first. You want to know what will ease the burden of worry in your life? Handing over to God the part of your life that is filled with worry. Handing over that part of your life to God. God ought to come before all other responsibilities, all other priorities, all other considerations. God ought to come first. Put God first in your life. That is the first step into making these days that you are currently living in right now the best days you've ever had. Is putting God first in all things. God ought to come before all other responsibilities. The greatest commandment in scripture. You guys remember the greatest commandment in scripture isn't to stop stealing isn't to refrain from lying or to keep from taking God's name in vain. It's the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart. You see this, Matthew chapter 22. Jesus said unto him, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. He's saying this is how you have, this is, if you want to keep all the commandments, if you want to make these days the best days, put God first in your life. Love God with all your heart. Make sure that God is the first love in every area of your life. Whether it's your marriage, whether it's your children, whether it's your finances, whether it's some other thing. Make sure your love for God supersedes and transcends every other area of your life. That is how we make the, uh, these days the best days. The greatest commandment is for God to be the first in our life. Put God before all things and above all things and ahead of all things things in your life. That's how we make these days the best days. That's how you can make where you currently are the place you've always wanted to be, by putting God first. Everything else follows from God being first in our life. You know what the first thing you do when you walk into your house on a dark night? You have a bunch of groceries in your hand. Maybe you have a child or two in your hand. You walk into your house, and uh, the first thing you do, it's all dark. Everything's, you know, there's, there's stuff scattered around your living room. You need to find your way throughout the house. Maybe you have your groceries, your kids. You're trying to get in. And for us, me and my wife, we have a, a second-story uh, apartment. So it's always the struggle trying to get up the stairs with all the groceries. And so by the time we get up, we're wore out trying to move around in a dark house. And there's a cat laying around somewhere. You don't want to step on the, ta- the, cat, the cat's tail. And so what's the first thing you do when you walk into the house? You turn the light on. Until you turn the light on, nothing else can happen. Why? Because if you don't turn the light on, you walk into a dark room or a dark house, and you have a kid here and groceries here, and you have the cat that you're about to run over, you're going you're to cause some damage. You're going to cause some trouble. You're not going to know what's going on. But once you turn the light on, everything else falls into place. Every other priority comes into perspective when you turn the lights on. God is saying if you want the lights to turn on in your life, put him first. 
if you want all the other priorities to fall into place, if you want your life to flourish, if you want to step out of the darkness in your life that we sometimes feel we're stepping into, if you want to step out of that, put God first. If sometimes it feels like you're, 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 you're walking in darkness when it comes to your finances and your resources, step into light. Put God first in that area of your life. Put God first. Because whatever part of your life you give to God, he blesses. Whatever part of my life I hand over to God, he's going to take that, he's going to bless that. He can't bless something you don't give to him, though. Unless we give it to him, he can't bless that part of our life. He wants to take, and this is why this is so important, because God wants to take every part of your life and bless it. God wants to take your finances. He wants to take your resources. He wants to take your family. He wants to take your workplace. He wants to take your vehicle. He wants to take your house. He wants to bless all of these things. I'm not saying he's going to give you tons of money. I'm not saying that this morning. I'm simply saying he does want to bless every single part of your life, and he can't do that until we hand it over to him. And he's dying for us to hand it over to him. He's saying to us all the time, give me this part of your life. Whenever we read his word, he's telling us, give me this part of your life. Give me that part of your life. Give me your relationships. I can do a lot better with them than you can do with them. Give me your resources. I can handle them a lot better than you can handle them. You see, God wants to us to give that. God wants us to put him first. So when it comes to my resources, I want to put God first because I want God to bless that part of my life. I want God to have control of that part of my life because he can do a lot better job. In the Bible times, they had a word for this. It was called the principle of the first fruits. And you see this in Proverbs chapter 3, verse number 9. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. What does that mean? What does first fruits mean? In ancient times, wealth wasn't measured by how much physical money, currency you had. It was measured by how much cattle, uh, how much corn, how much wool, barley, oil, wine, how much you had in crops. If you had lots of uh, cattle, you had lots of sheep, then you were a rich person. If you had lots of farmland, you were a rich person. That's why uh, in the Old Testament, the Bible says that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. What does that mean? It simply means back then they would have understood that to mean God has a lot of money. In fact, it's hyperbole. It's trying to tell people God has all the money. God's wealthy beyond recognition. So when we come to this and it says, give God the first fruits of all your increase, it's saying the first part of anything that is increase in your life, the first part of anything that is increase or income, give that part of God. Why? Because God deserves the first fruits of everything we have. What does that mean? God deserves the first priority, the top tier in our life. He, he, he deserves the best from our life. He deserves the first fruits. In the Bible times, this would be considered the tithe. They would give God the tithe, the first 10%. This is the first fruits. The first, the first uh, crop that came from their harvest, they would give that to God. So we all understand this, this principle in our life. You understood this the moment you got married. You understood that it was no longer about you, right? It was no longer be, uh, putting yourself first. It was putting your spouse first. And we remember this at, uh, well, at least some of us remember this on Valentine's Day, right? I almost forgot this. I don't think Mandy's in here. I don't think Mandy's here. I almost forgot this, but I played it off real cool. So it was a day before Valentine's Day, and I had known, I, I just had a gut feeling that a man had gotten my gift like weeks before. And so I was like, oh, I, need to, I need to keep this in my mind. So it was the day before Valentine's Day. I hadn't, still hadn't gotten got anything because I'm a guy and we, we procrastinate, right? This is what we do. So I'm, I'm thinking to myself, man, I need to get something for my wife because this is what you do on Valentine's Day. I she get me something. I need to get her something. Sometimes some of you, maybe you, you go out to eat or you have someone watch your kids. And you do something nice. You do something for Valentine's Day. I was, okay, I need to get my wife something for Valentine's Day. Why? Because I want her to know that she is my priority. I want her to know that she's first in my life. And that's what God wants to know. God wants to know, am I first in your life? And, and, and here's the thing. We can all say, as we're sitting here right now, and as I say all the time, I can say, yes, God, you're the first in my life. 
But how can God tell from our life that he is first? How can God tell from my resources and how I manage them that he's first? How can I tell from my relationships that God, how can God tell that he is first? You see, that's what the tithe is. And you see this principle of tithing all throughout Scripture. You see, this is a pattern throughout the Bible. From Abraham in the book of Genesis to Jesus in the Gospels. Giving actually changes our thinking in, uh, when it comes to finances. It will change our thinking from fear to faith. The truth is, most people have a scarcity mindset when it comes to giving. When it comes to our resources, they say things like, well, I would like to give, Pastor, but I just don't have enough. Or I would love to give, but I just can't this week. Or I wish I could give, but I can't get ahead. I want to do more, but it always seems like I'm behind. That's a scarcity mindset. God wants to break you out of that mindset. God wants to give you freedom from that kind of mindset. That thinking actually creates a destructive cycle in our life. And I, a pastor I, uh, I listen to and I, I watch his messages, Craig Rochelle is a pastor who talks about this cycle. And I got this from him. It's called the scarcity cycle. I want to show you guys this. The scarcity cycle is something that we all struggle with. Many, many Christians struggle with this scarcity cycle. So everything we have, God supplies. God supplies all of our resources. Everything we have comes from God. He gives us. And this is the scarcity cycle. We think to ourselves, okay, God's given me, or we don't even think that, but everything we have comes from God. We get, we get our paycheck, and we think, okay, now I need to spend it. I need to consume, because we live in America. That's what we do, is we consume. It's a consumer mentality. I need to consume. It's the first thing on my mind. I need to spend, I need to buy, I need to purchase, I need to get, I need to lay away, I need to, I need to get stuff on Amazon Prime. I need to, and so we consume. And because we've consumed, we lack we get to the end of the month, we get to the end of the two weeks or whatever, and we think, I don't have enough for my life, I don't have enough to get around, and we lack. And so that lack, what does that lack create? That lack creates fear. And so we live in this mindset of fear when it comes to our resources. We think, I can't do anything, I can't give, I can't do what I want to do because I'm living in fear. I wish it was better, but it's not. I'm living in fear. And as a result of that fear, we consume. And on and on this vicious cycle goes, and it's called the cycle of scarcity. That is not how God wants you to live. God does not want you to live in fear. God does not want to live you want you to live with a mindset of scarcity. God doesn't want He wants to break the chains of scarcity in your life. He wants you to live with freedom in your life. That's not how God wants you to live. You see, as Jesus followers, we do something different. This is why the principle of first fruits is life changing, literally life changing. Because when we give, it starts a completely different cycle. When we give and we put God the first priority in our life when it comes to our resources, it starts and it creates a completely di a different cycle. I want to show you guys this, the supply cycle. So God supplies everything we have. And what's our first priority when we supply it? And this, is, this, will break, this will break this cycle right here. We think the first thing I want to do is I want to give. I want to give to God because he deserves it. Because I want to put him first in my life. And so this is our first mindset. And what happens? What happens? And you may not believe this yet. If you try it, you will. What happens when we give? When that's our first priority, God's going to bless. He's going to bless what you have. He literally says, all these things shall be added unto you. He's going to multiply what you have. God's going to bless. And as a result of that blessing, what's going to happen? Our faith is going to grow. That's why this cycle is diametrically opposed to this cycle. Because when we give, it creates faith. As opposed to when we consume, it creates fear. See, God doesn't want us to live with fear. He wants us to live with faith. He wants us to live with big faith. He wants us to live with faith in him. And so when, when, when we give and God blesses, our faith grows. And that starts the cycle all over again because our faith grows, we can give. 
You see how God, you see how this, how freeing this is with the, the mindset that God wants us to, to have in our life? Giving changes our thinking from scarcity to generosity, from fear to faith, from consuming to contributing, from honoring self first, uh, first to honoring God first. The principle of tithing will change your life. Anything you give to God, God will multiply. Anything you give to God, God will bless. God doesn't misuse what you give to him. He multiplies what you give to him. He doesn't misuse what you give to him. He multiplies what you give to him. You see this in Jesus' message. Look at verse number 25. I'm sorry, verse number 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You know what God's going to say? You know what God says? He says, put me first in your life. Seek me first, and all these things will be added unto you. When we put God first, his, he promises to meet our needs. Jesus said, all these things shall be added unto you. When you put God first, you will no longer need to worry. You don't have to worry anymore when you put God first. Matthew chapter 6, verse number 31. Therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. God knows what you need. He knows what you lack. He knows what bills uh, are, are, are coming your way. He sees the unexpected expenses. He sees the cut hours. He's aware of how much is coming in, and he has promised to provide for all your needs. He's promised to provide for everything in your life. He goes so far as to say, you don't even need to worry about it, because when you're anxious about your resources, you're worrying about something God has already taken care of. You just can't see it yet. He says, you don't even need to worry about it. Because when you put me first, I've got your back. I'm going to take care of all of your needs. I will be here for you. Sometimes our thinking is, I'll work it out, I'll work it all out, then I'll give. God's thinking is, give and I'll work it all out. Who would you rather have managing your resources, you or God? Because with God, he says, I'll provide every need. doesn't matter what comes in, what comes out. doesn't matter what's going on. I will provide for your needs. I will promise that. The one principle we need to learn today is to trust God with our resources. This is what Jesus was trying to tell his disciples in the earlier passage we just read. Matthew chapter 6. Behold the fowls of the air, all the birds, the ravens. They sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? What is he saying? The ravens don't invest. And they have no savings to fall back on. Yet God still gives them everything they need. You see this, look at, verse, uh, look at, look at uh, the lilies of the field, verse number 28. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. What's Jesus saying? The flowers, they don't have to work in stress, but God provides for them with more amazing abundance than even the richest king ever had. Look at verse number 30. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast in the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? What's he saying? The grass doesn't even really need to be provided for. It's going to be burnt up later on anyway. It's going to die later on. However, God chooses to, uh, to generously provide for even something as worthless as the grass. What's Jesus saying? What's Jesus saying? If God will provide for the birds, the flowers, and the grass, Will he not provide for his own children? If God will provide for all these other things, he'll certainly provide for you. If God will take care of the, these little seemingly little things, he will certainly provide for those he calls his children. He will provide for you. 
When we put God first and give him our resources, we aren't just becoming more like Christ. We are inviting the blessings of God into our life. Maybe you're thinking, how can I trust God with my stuff and my resources? How do I know I can trust God with my stuff? Look at Romans chapter 6. For the wages of sin is death. Bad news, right? Here's the good news. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, when we were sinners and enemies of God, God gave us Jesus. You can trust God with 10% because he gave us 100. You can trust God with your life because he gave us his life. You can trust God will provide for your temporary needs because he's already provided for your eternal needs. We can give God our stuff because he's given us his son. How do you know you can trust God with everything in your life because God has given us everything? You can trust God. If anybody has taken a bullet for you, you can trust that person. Jesus took our bullet for us on the cross. He took uh, his, his own son and he gave us his son. You can trust God with a little bit because he's given us everything. You can trust God with everything in your life because he has proven that he is not only there for you to provide for your temporary needs, he is there for you and he's already provided for your eternal needs. That is how you know you can trust God. One Martin Luther put it this way. He said, I have tried to keep things in my hands and have lost them. But what I have given into God's hands, I still possess. See, I read the story of um, a lady named Corey Ten Boom and her sister Betsy. I don't know if you've heard of Corey Ten Boom. She has a book called The Hiding Place. This is during World War II. She was a, there was a middle-aged Christian woman in Harlem when, when World War II erupted. And uh, they decided to stay, her and her sister Betsy, Corrie Ten Boom and her sister Betsy, they decided to stay when the Nazi Germany had taken over Holland. They decided to stay to help uh, Jews flee from Nazi Germany. They risked their lives for this. But they were eventually arrested, Corrie Ten Boom and her sister Betsy, and they were taken to uh, Ravensbrück concentration camp in Germany. That's where Betsy, her sister, died. Corrie survived. Years later, when she asked how to prepare for persecution, she used to tell this story about her childhood. She says, when I was a little girl, I went to my father and said, Daddy, I was afraid that I will never be strong enough to be a martyr for Jesus Christ. The father said, tell me, Corey, when you take a trip, a train trip, when do I give you the money for the ticket? Three weeks before? Corey responded by saying, no, 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 Daddy. You give me the money right before I get onto the train. That's right, the father said. And so it is with God's strength. Our Father in heaven knows when you still need strength. He will supply all you need just in time. God will supply your needs. He is the heavenly Father. If we put him first, if we trust him, he says, I'll supply. Just to give you a story. So um, we celebrated the first anniversary of the Restoration Baptist Church a couple weeks ago. Many of you were here for that. Uh, one thing people don't know, or maybe I've told you this story before, most people don't know this, this story, but um, two days before the grand opening of Restoration Baptist Church, um, we were having some problems. So we needed, we had bought all, we had purchased all the equipment we needed for the church. And so we were really excited about that, but we didn't have a, a way to transport it from where we were keeping it at our house and to here where we were meeting. And so we needed someone to, uh, we needed a trailer, bottom line. And so I had a pastor friend, and he said, we're not using our trailer because they let us store it all at the church. And so you can use our trailer for as long as you like. You can use it. We don't, we don't even need it. It's basically yours. And so he says, okay, great. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. We used their trailer for, for many, many months, and we used it for all of our preview services before the church actually started. We had a couple preview services where we moved everything here. We got it all set up, tore it all down. It was great. 
three weeks, I think it was, before we had the grand opening of the church, this pastor said to me, I need that trailer back because I need to sell the trailer. Stuff has happened, I need to sell the trailer. I need it back as soon as possible. I said, okay, all right, you need it back, you need it back. I'll give it back. So we drove it back. We did not have a trailer to move all our stuff. Grand opening was weeks away. And so we prayed. And up until this whole time, we had been trusting God with our resources. We didn't get one lump sum, and that's how it all came. We trusted God along the way. He would provided slowly but surely the entire way. And we were trusting God with, with everything that came in. We were, we were, we were giving the first fruits to, to, to God. I said, God, you need to provide for us. The church isn't going to start. We know you want us to start the church. The church isn't going to start unless we have a trailer. We need a trailer. It's going to cost $3,000. We need a trailer. We didn't know it. There was people that God was working on that wanted to help us out, resources. So I had pastors call me after we had prayed about it and after we, hadn't, we didn't have a trailer anymore. Pastors are praying and say, how can we get involved and help you out with some of the needs? What are some of the needs that you have for your church? I know your grand opening is coming up here pretty soon. And so pastors started giving us uh, resources. They started giving us money and they started saying, how much do you need? And we tell them, they say, well, we can't give you that much, but we can give you this much. And so pastors throughout the two weeks leading up to the grand opening, they said, here's money. And by the time we got to the grand opening, we had enough money to buy this trailer. And so we went to the, the trailer place and we bought a trailer and we had a trailer in place that we'd purchased two days before grand opening. That's when God provided. What's the point? When you put God first, even though it seems scary, he will always provide for you. When you say, God, I want to give you my resources, God will take the resources, he will add them, he will multiply them in a way that you never could.